Two months ago, a ship carrying 1,700 tonnes of heavy fuel oil, the Rena, ran aground off the Tauranga coast. Insight asks if the country was prepared for what became New Zealand's worst maritime environmental disaster. This event has come to a scale where it is New Zealand's most significant maritime environmental disaster. Seeing this just black mass on the beach which I grew up on, absolutely devastating. It really was just yeah, simply heart-wrenching seeing that, that oil washing up on Papamoa Beach. When are the beaches going to be clear? When's our sea life going to return to normal? And when's life going to return to normal? I'm concerned for the sea, the animals, the children, all of the life um, around the area. I want it cleaned up so my grandchildren can enjoy it. I know it so well, how they hit it. If they'd been 100 metres either side, would be no problem. Mark Hume speaking. Going back to the night it all began, that call to the chief executive of the port of Tauranga came at just after 2.30 in the morning on October the 5th. About a quarter of an hour earlier, a ship travelling into the port from Napier had run aground on Astrolab Reef, 12 nautical miles from the coast. That phone call in the middle of the night was a sign of something serious. Normally bad news when I get a call at that time in the morning. It's normally a, a very serious accident on the port or an incident such as this. So we then, uh, it was notified to Maritime New Zealand immediately. Um, and then our senior pilot, uh, Maritime New Zealand, and the harbour master then went out on our vessel at four o'clock that morning. So before the sun was up to actually uh, look at the vessel. I'm Lorna Perry, and in this insight, I look into the grounding of the Rena, a 47,000-tonne ship measuring 236 metres in length and carrying perishable foodstuffs, other cargo, household and some dangerous goods. For years, seafarers have known to avoid the Astrolab Reef. Well, it's something you put a three-mile ring around and uh, you don't get any closer to it than that. The crew was said to have known the route it was travelling that starts and ends six weeks later in Singapore. And it came as a surprise to the company chartering the vessel, the Mediterranean Shipping Company, that the ship had run aground. But retired ship captain Jeff Garrett, who has spent 40 years at sea, 25 of those as a master, says despite the time of day, preparations for coming into port should have been underway on deck. Well, what would have been going on? You would have been uh, knocking speed off the ship. You would have been reducing speed, uh, lining up for A-boy to pick up the pilot, uh, the captain and the second mate, and uh, at least one watchman would be in the wheelhouse there, noting all salient landmarks uh, in the process of this lineup. Mark Cairns says a typical vessel is in communication with the port three hours before the ship meets up with the pilot boat, five and a half kilometres out to sea from Mount Monganui. The Rena grounded on Astrolab Reef, which is uh, about 25 kilometres from the mount, so quite a long way outside of the compulsory pilotage station. But obviously, of course, the port would have been in contact with the ship, you know, leading into that point. That's correct. But the vessel didn't get that far, instead grinding to a sudden halt on the reef that was covered because of the high tide. Namihi Otera, this is Radio New Zealand National. In today's programme, oil leaks from a large container ship stuck on a reef near Tauranga. At 7 o'clock that morning, Maritime New Zealand declared the grounding a Tier 3 emergency, the highest level response to an oil spill. The primary concern was the fuel Rena was carrying. 
A marine advocate, Bob Zerr, from the Worldwide Fund for Nature, says the type of fuel on board raised alarm bells. First of all, it's the quantity of oil. 1,700 tonnes is a, is a large amount of oil. But also it's the type of oil, heavy fuel oil, as we eventually found out, is, is awful stuff. It's very heavy, viscous, and doesn't lend itself to um, uh, control by dispersants. And it's, it's toxic and it's extremely adhesive when it comes to wildlife. Members of the National Oil Spill Response Team started making their way to Tauranga, and the word had already started to spread overseas. I'm Matthew Watson, spokesperson for Spitzer Salvage, talking with... Word travels fast when you get a, a vessel as large as the Rena running aground. Um, a very experienced salvor from Spitzer over in Sydney found out within a matter of hours. Now, it ran aground at 2am and at daybreak over in Sydney that salvor made preparations to fly over to New Zealand. He came to Taronga very quickly and then he was helicoptered out onto the vessel. So he was on board the vessel within 24 hours. Even before he was on there, everyone knew this was a serious one. This was a very, very serious situation indeed. Once he was on board, uh, everyone's concerns were confirmed. She was in a precarious uh, position. The next day, Svitsa was officially appointed as salvers by the ship's owner, Costamare, and the salvage advisor for Maritime New Zealand, John Walker, arrived in Tauranga and boarded the ship. Throughout that period, from the 5th or from the 6th to the 11th, there was a full set of activities going on, trying to determine how to move this oil out of the ship uh, in a correct manner and get it off the ship and also assess what is happening to the ship, having divers over the side, looking at the state of the hull, trying to determine how the vessel was sitting on the rocks, whether it would fall off whether it had sufficient buoyancy, whether we needed to do something to uh, re retain buoyancy. All these were happening throughout those first few days and it was a frantic uh, um, activity. Maybe from looking from the shore it didn't seem to be, but certainly on the ship. Those guys hardly slept on the ship. They were working 24 hours a day almost doing this work. It was very, very difficult indeed. The Wildlife Response Centre was also getting into action at an already identified site near Mount Monganui. But for locals who weren't aware of what was happening at the Incident Command Centre, those few days sparked frustration. The weather was calm in Bay of Plenty and from the shoreline, where the ship could only be seen at a squint, it appeared little was happening. A Tauranga businessman says he's angry at what he sees as a lack of action in response to the grounding. There's a window of five days where the weather was really good. And there was nothing. There's a huge amount of concern with the ordinary person in Tauranga who actually has some frustrations that they they can't see a lot of the work that's going on. The mayor of Tauranga says locals are still trying to figure out how to cope with the oil spill. There is a wave of emotions from disbelief this thing happened in the first place to frustration, anger, uh, and then wanting to get in and help. Stuart Crosby says the stranding of the Rena has challenged everything that being a coastal community stands for. Hello. Hi Lorna, how are you? Come Good, in. nice to see you. In the early stage, particularly the first 24, 36 hours, they were communicating to themselves and to the various agencies and to salvors, etc., which they had to do, uh, but they forgot to communicate to the community. 
Um, so again, once I had realised that, we came in support and we had a number of community meetings up and down the coastline and in Tauranga, Whakatane and even one further east. And they were really good. They were a bit um, tumultuous at the start. You know, there's a bit of emotion there, as you'd expect, of uh, frustration, anger, disbelief. The first public meeting was in Papamoa on Monday evening, five days after the ship had run aground. Maritime New Zealand's director, Catherine Taylor, says she now realises that that was too late. I think in the first two or three days, though, you are in the position where you are continually gathering information. And one of the risks you run early on is that you provide misinformation. So by the Friday or the Saturday, I think we should have been able to uh, much more proactively inform the community. I apologise for that. That is just something we've learnt and uh, we will put into our debrief when when it takes place. By the time the first public meeting had taken place, oil had already started to appear on the beach at Mount Monganui remnants of the up to 30 tonnes of oil that had already leaked from the ship. It's heartbreaking. Oh no, that's appalling. Just walking along, I actually just stepped in some of it and it just stuck to my shirt and I touched it and it's very, very toxic. The smell of it's terrible. I'm kind of speechless. This is pretty uh, unbelievable stuff. And the weather had made a turn for the worst. There's a three metre plus swell out there and because the vessel's moving, what they're looking to do is come off as a precaution, wait because the sea state is lessening, abating, and then they will go back on board. In the early hours of the morning there was a big bang and obviously the, something had snapped on the vessel and then it started moving in a very strange manner. You could hardly walk. It was like flexing and moving around and I can best describe it is that when you were actually on the bridge looking at the tops of the containers it looked like as though you were uh, looking at the back of a caterpillar walking it's just moving in all different directions a very unusual effect and the list was coming off the list came off uh, it went from 11 degrees and it started to get to, to an upright condition and at that time there was a thought well okay we're, we're getting better and then you could see the oil coming out and then you could see it starting to go over to starboard. And at that time, then, we realised that there was a serious, serious problem. So uh, prior to that, we'd already started evacuating um, the ship's crew. And when we recognised that the situation had got even worse, then the salvage were evacuated as well. The advice I'm receiving uh, is that the amount of oil that's been released over the last 24 hours is fivefold what was released in the earlier periods. Bay of Plenty reporter Lorna Perry is on the beach. There's a very strong tar smell in the air and when you get down to the beach you can see that there's a, a, quite a thick coating of oil. It's quite clear that there's been a continued deterioration to the arena. She has um, some structural damage which is quite apparent to anyone to see. There have been a number of containers lost off the vessel. In another development today, there's been a major expansion of the exclusion zone around the stranded ship. It now stretches approximately 45 kilometres from Mount Mangani to Matata and 40 kilometres out to sea as far as Mare Island. Currently I'm looking at a lot of packets of burger patties. Over the course of the past 45 minutes, that container has come Sure, it appears that it's two containers. The owners of the Rena have said sorry. The officer in charge of navigating the ship has appeared in court in Tauranga. 
He was facing the same charge as, as the captain of the Rena faced when he appeared in court yesterday, that of operating the ship in a manner likely to cause unnecessary danger to people and property. The use of chemical dispersants on the fresh oil is not giving us sufficient effectiveness to justify the ongoing use of aerial dispersant operations. I have issued a stay off the beach direction between the areas of Mount Monganui and Makatu, including Makatu Estuary. Birds started arriving in numbers at the Wildlife Response Centre pushing its capacity to cope. And another international company, Braemar House, was brought in to deal with the fugitive 87 containers. The company's operations manager for the incident, Neil Lloyd, says it's likely some of the containers that fell overboard will never be found. There's a large ocean out there and you know, with currents, if you've got uh, containers floating several metres below the surface, they're very difficult to see, almost impossible to see from the air. And if they get into the right current, they can just be moved out the sea and you'll never see them again never see them, so there is a highly likelihood that a lot of them will never be seen. After the storm event, a new salvage plan had to be drawn up to get the remaining oil, now cold and gluey, off the ship. Finally, after what seemed like problem after problem, on November 14th it was announced the bulk of the heavy fuel oil had been removed from the ship and the operation to remove more than 1,300 containers was to start. It was when oil first appeared on the beaches that locals felt the true impact of the ship running aground offshore. Kia ora. my name is Charlie Tafio and I'm the chairman of Ngaitirangi um, Runanga. We're standing here in front of Mawao on the main beach at the Mount. If you look out here now, you won't see what was causing everybody such a lot of grief. It was a lot of grief for our people, a lot of pain and a lot of sadness at, the, at how fragile the environment is and how easily it, things can change on us. And I know in the first weeks I was dealing with a lot of people who were just grieving for what was happening or what was threatening to happen. And I thought that was a bit odd until I came down here and saw firsthand some of the mess on the beach that was in the early stages and then realised that this is actually more than just about a messy beach and not being able to go swimming. It actually changed the whole way we look at the world here for a while. It wasn't just the residents who were hurting. The chief executive of the Tauranga Chamber of Commerce, Max Mason, says income for up to 40 businesses dried up. In terms of the worst affected, looking at probably about 30 to 40 businesses, the income was literally stopped. Then there's a, a number, probably around about the same number, that have been somewhat affected. And there you have to look at individual basis about how many actually have been as I say, the extent to which they've been affected. But then there's also, we also have to look at the long-term effects as well. We, we don't know what those are going to be, so time will tell about that. But then there's also uh, people like, um, for example, who produce bait and the recreational fishing market, and, and that is huge. Uh, it's not really a market, it's a sector. For example, there are fishing clubs. There's quite a few of those in Tauranga. And those are membership-based, uh, not-for-profit organisations. And certainly when people for most of that um, 45 days were in fact unable to go out fishing on the harbour or out in the, you know, in the, in the wider sea, uh, certainly the fishing clubs will be affected. My name's Graham Butler and I run Butler Swim with Dolphins out of Tauranga in partnership with my wife and um, business couple Stuart and Bev Rendell. Our main mission is to get people in the water with dolphins. And so... 
that's the primary thing that we do on our day trips, is to get people in the water with dolphins. Graham Butler says his business took a financial hit because the arena ran aground during one of his busiest times. We've had no business at all, so um, taking the opportunity, realising of course with the exclusion zone, there was a thousand metre exclusion zone, then it went out to nine miles as the containers started falling off the vessel. And then of course our insurance said that it was no longer an unforeseen event. So if we sailed out there and sailed into the into a container and did damage to the vessel, then they wouldn't cover it. And similarly, they wouldn't cover the cost of any damage if we sucked oil into the hull or into the motor. So in that sense, we couldn't go sailing. So we put the Gemini Galaxy up on the hard and we've been working on her ever since. For us, Hawkins, who runs Fatboy Fishing Charters out of Tauranga, the exclusion zone diminished his fishing area by 80%. Well, it went from a reasonable income last year to absolutely zero. For the month of October, there was no income at all. From the previous years, in the cash book, etc., it was over 3,500 gross income, and that went to absolutely nothing. Still expenses because of surveys and, and um, maintenance you know, accounts, but um, no, absolutely no income whatsoever. At this stage, it's not known how much of a financial impact the Rena incident will have on the $450 million Bay of Plenty tourism industry. The chairman of Bay of Plenty Tourism, Graham Marshall, says 51% of operators say they're worse off, while 35% say they benefited from those who came for the Rena response. He says the ship ran aground just as people were looking to confirm Christmas plans, so the timing could not have been worse. Look, I guess people wanted to protect their position. If they couldn't stay here over Christmas safely, then they wanted to book somewhere else to guarantee that they'd get in. Uh, but I think uh, generally those who love this place from all over New Zealand are starting to realise that uh, the initial impact has been so well handled that it's not a danger anymore. But uh, th some people have made decisions to leave because the danger of uh, Christmas and New Year that was not going to be as they'd planned it required them to make urgent uh, plans. In November, the government offered six weeks of financial support to those Tauranga businesses worst affected by the grounding of the arena. The incident also brought a community together. As Mayor Stuart Crosby puts it, emotions were put to one side and people got down to work. Within two or three days, that slick had been removed by the volunteers and the New Zealand Armed Forces uh, and some of the other trained people. So. In bulk, it had been removed. Then it took the hard yards to get rid of the final pieces, which is still going on, by the way. We have learnt that if oil is spilt on, on your beach and you live within a stone's throw of the beach, uh, you want to help. And uh, instead of saying, no, you need to be an expert, we learnt that if you train people and you give them the key messages of keeping the clean areas clean, and keeping the contamination on the beach, then the volunteers have been uh, truly remarkable in assisting uh, us to uh, clean up the oil. As choice of gloves, these are the very light disposable ones or these heavier ones, whatever suits you. Any questions, queries so far? In total, almost 8,000 volunteers signed up to take part in the oil spill response. Maritime New Zealand's Catherine Taylor says the lessons learnt over the use of volunteers can be applied around the world. 
The world is watching what New Zealand has done in terms of this response. I mean, our oil-wildlife response is world-class. The use of volunteers and the way we trained them and used them is now going to be a lesson that other administrations will pick up and use. So there are some things that we've done here which reflect on the New Zealanders, the New Zealand way of doing things, which I think are will, in in the fullness of time, be picked up around the world. There are two inquiries underway to find out what caused the RENA to run aground. Maritime New Zealand's response to the incident will also come under scrutiny. In terms of the salvage effort, Matt Watson from Switzer says there was equipment available in New Zealand to get the ball rolling. But specialised equipment was also brought in from Sydney, Singapore and further afield. So they try to have as much in place as they can. But as is often the case, you are sometimes scouring the world for very specialised, rare pieces of equipment, and it's not always possible to have those pieces on location within five minutes. How would you consider, I suppose, the level of preparedness and the amount of resourcing available in New Zealand for an incident like this? I think in terms of major global salvage operations, there is a sentiment that this was pretty good in terms of getting the equipment together. You couldn't expect, uh, you know, every region in every country of the world to just happen to have all this stuff on hand. It just doesn't work like that. It it, it doesn't make sense. It is very expensive and specialised equipment. Ask anyone, you know, the last time a RENA incident happened in New Zealand and most people would scratch their heads. It is a very rare incident. As for the oil spill response, Catherine Taylor says the port of Tauranga had actually been identified as a site of higher risk and had more response equipment available as a precaution. Tauranga, in a recent assessment, has been identified as an area of of more risk um, given the level of activity in the port. And so um, there would have been also some dispersants uh, stockpiled in Tauranga as well. The National Secretary for the Maritime Union, Joe Fleetwood, says the incident raises problems of vessels trading along the New Zealand coast under a flag of convenience. The RENA was flying a Liberian flag. The problem that we have with them is the owner registers the ship in another country of not their own flag, flies a foreign flag, hence why they call it the flag of convenience. And the problem that we have is there is no link to ownership of the owner. Through the FOCs they have cheap registration, low to no taxes, cheap labour, non-unionised workforce, low to minimal regulations uh, that they're governed by. Many seafarers on board the FOCs are denied basic human rights, as in the right to belong, association, as in the union, social standards, as in food, living, accommodations, their quarters, are all kept very substandard. So there's all these things that we have. Similarly, Jed O'Connell from the Engineering, Printing and Manufacturing Union says the RENA's running aground highlights the need for tougher regulations. It appears from all that we have looked at, particularly in our relation to oil and gas submissions that we've made, is that we're not adequately prepared and we really need to invest, firstly, in very strong regulations in health and safety, which is a real preventative measure when it comes to disasters, then uh, strong environmental regulations, which would up the game again, and then being prepared for a disaster or an oil spill. Maritime New Zealand says the flagging of vessels is not an issue for them, but the Department of Labor said in a recent inquiry into fishing vessels flying under a foreign flag that any crew members in New Zealand waters should come under the same protection. 
Since 1998, Massey University has had a contract with Maritime New Zealand to respond, train and plan for oil spills as far as the wildlife is concerned. In total, the Wildlife Centre near Mount Monganui had more than 400 birds in its care. More than 2,000 birds were found dead, and marine advocate Bob Zur says that amount is the tip of the proverbial iceberg. We really don't know how many birds died. We can only count the ones that ended up on the shore. So do you think potentially that number is, could be a lot higher? Oh, it's, it's definitely higher. There's, there's no question about that. But little birds um, such as diving petrels are not much bigger than a, than a blackbird and um, they can disappear without trace. It also occurred in the middle of the breeding season, so we also don't know the impact that it had in terms of disrupting breeding, in terms of uh, mortality of the chicks and also chicks dying because their um, parents had died. So we, we won't know the nature of the impacts for some years. Helen McConnell, one of the managers at the Wildlife Response Centre, says the oil spill has been a learning process for everyone. The temporary nature of some of the marquees and the bird holding rooms and the intake um, areas have been tricky as far as heating goes, so we've learnt a lot as to how we go about heating temporary spaces. Um, I've got some fairly sophisticated equipment just keeping the ambient temperature warm enough for those um, compromised birds when they first came in. So a lot of that is technology that I guess we'd never really thought about needing to put into place. Um, however, our facilities advisor has, has just, you know, he's just run with it really. He's just seen the challenge and really risen to the occasion. So we've learnt a lot, yes, and I think that um, we can certainly you know, continue the learnings, but we, we're also pretty pleased with how things, things came together in the end. A professor of coastal science at the University of Waikato, Chris Battershill, has been building up an assessment of contamination around the coastline. Looking out over the harbour from his office in Tauranga, he says there wasn't enough information available about what effect the oil would have on New Zealand's marine plants and animals. I think there was information about what was likely to happen, but of course the immediate questions that everybody was fielding was what is the degree of impact and um, how long will it take to recover? And to provide an accurate assessment of how long it will take to recover, we really know, need to know accurately just how this type of heavy fuel oil engages with marine plants and animals, particularly quite Kaimawana species. Does it? How quickly does it get into the tissues if it's gotten into the tissues, how quickly does it get out again? And there seems to be a lack of direct evidence about that. Those against deep sea oil drilling used the RENA incident to push their campaign. A freelance marine biologist based in Taranaki, Dr Lyndon Devantia, says it's time to think clearly about how best to prepare for an expansion of oil and gas offshore. I think the government at the moment is, um, is very strong on the economic benefits that will accrue and uh, I heard uh, the Acting Energy Minister talking on the radio about um, some $12.7 billion dollars that may uh, come in as royalties from this, um, from this expansion of oil and gas offshore. Uh, however, to put that into context with what it will cost if and when uh, an, an accident of the scale of the, um, the Exxon Valdez occurs, uh, that, that would be uh, basically use up all of those royalties if the government was, was uh, paying for the cleanup. The ship's master and navigational officer have also been charged under the Resource Management Act in relation to the release of oil. Tauranga's Mayor Stuart Crosby says the results of any investigations need to be out as soon as possible to help the community to understand why this has happened. 
I think it's really important that Maritime New Zealand and the agencies that uh, are investigating uh, this incident release information as quickly as possible. I believe now they already know what happened, uh, but they've got to do all the checks and balances because vessels have a little black box like an aeroplane that was removed and went to Australia for analysis within the first few days. So I'd suggest they've got a pretty good idea already what's happened, and I think they need to um, explain that to our community as soon as possible. The Transport Accident Investigation Commission says the Voyage Data Recorder information was successfully downloaded in its office in New Zealand. Soon after the Rena ran aground, the Commission said it hoped to release an interim factual report, but a release date has not yet been set. I'm Lorna Perry and that's Insight for this week. If you have any comments or queries, we'd love to hear from you via email on insight at radionz.co.nz or on Twitter at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented this program with additional assistance from Andrew McRae. It was produced by Philippa Tolley. Technical production was by William Saunders.